And I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily Profcast. We're two long-distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Guys, guess what? We are together. We're recording on one device. Which is why the audio probably sounds more different than anything you've ever experienced. Is it going to be really? I don't know. No, oh, we'll see. Hi, we are together at McKenna's flat in New Jersey. My flat. Having a grand old time. We've been here for a week. We skipped last week because we were having too much fun doing other things. So now we're back and we're recording and we're talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. I think our perception and the perception of most of our listeners was that we were going to get together and do Harry Potter things 24-7. We've actually done a lack of Harry Potter things. It's been kind of kind of nice, not yeah. because we don't love Harry Potter, but because we're whole other people with other parts of our lives. Yeah, and we don't see each other all the time. We try and get together at least once a year. And uh, there are other things to do and uh, other bonding activities to do that don't have to do with Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm thinking tonight we should throw face masks on mm. and watch a crappy Christmas movie I on support, Hallmark. I support that 100%. So we are together. We're hoping to do at least one live maybe this Saturday coming up. But today we are starting... <gasps> We're starting my absolute favorite book of the series. McKenna... Hit us with some book fun facts. Yeah, I always have book facts. So Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was released on July 8th in the UK, September 8th in the US, both in 1999. So I was a wee tot when this came out. I'm pretty much always astounded at how small I was when these books were actually released because I just remember reading them from the time I could read. Yeah. But they had been out a while. I probably started reading... Sorcerer's Stone with my parents when Prisoner of Azkaban had come out. Yeah. I just think I remember reading Sorcerer's Stone in kindergarten. So yeah. Yeah. About yeah. that age. The book Prisoner of Azkaban won the Whitbread Children's Book Award, the Bram Stoker Award, and Ooh. the 2000 Locus Award and was shortlisted for a Hugo. Cool. Which is a fancy book award. Yeah. One of the facts I found really interesting when I was reading was the author started to write Prisoner of Azkaban the day after she finished Chamber of Secrets. Oh, wow. She said it was the most comfortable book for her to write out of all seven of them Hmm. because it had taken off enough the series where she didn't have financial worry anymore, but she also didn't have outrageous media attention. Okay. So she was able to write very comfortably and so she feels that this is one of the better books she ever put out mm-hmm. her favorite aspect of the book was the introduction of Remus Lupin oh my guy the book sold more than 68,000 copies in the UK within the first three days of Holy release crap. which is an astounding That's number not- especially for 1999 yeah when there wasn't social media yeah promoting books mm-hmm. and such and you couldn't Amazon order a book yeah Everybody stood in lines. Right, yeah. I remember how still, I still remember having to stand in lines for the last couple books. Yeah, I remember having to go to Barnes and Noble a couple months before the book was released, put my order in. Mm -hmm. Then they would always have a party. Yep. Midnight on release night and I would dress up. Yep. That's how I remember doing book releases for Harry Potter. In 2012, The Guardian reported that 3,377,906 copies have been sold of the book worldwide. 
And since 2012, that's probably has grown. Mm -hmm. It was a mostly positive reception among critics, but one critic, Anthony Holden, called it a black and white novel, predictable, minimal suspense, and overly sentimental. I think that's not accurate, personally. I don't I don't I think th- it's predictable at all. I think Prisoner of Azkaban, well, now it feels so predictable. But we know the story now. Right. When I read it the first time, I was like, oh, the rat? Like, spoiler. But yeah, I definitely think that there is suspense in the book. Yeah. At, at multiple points along the novel. Yeah. We get things sort of in nuggets of information rather than grand reveals. And then there is a bigger reveal at the end. Totally. But... I'm wondering how much backstory did she really develop? before starting to write one and two, as opposed to when she got to here, because this one deals a lot with stuff that has to do with Harry's backstory. Right. Was it comfortable for her because it was stuff to do with things that she had to develop in order to develop Harry as a character already? Was it already laid out for her? I also like that it doesn't, this is one of the only books in the series where we do not get a major confrontation with Voldemort. Correct. I guess except six, but we still see Voldemort in that book. Yeah. We don't really know what's happening with Voldemort. I think there's the sense, obviously, that we haven't met the last of him, Mm -hmm. but he is not the main antagonist in this particular novel. Even at the end of this book, it's not really clear in what form he's going to appear next. In Sorcerer's Stone, he's just a fragment of himself. In in Chamber of Secrets, he's a memory. And then in this one, we don't really encounter him, but Pettigrew escapes. And then we're not really sure how he's going to re-manifest. Then we get a big old surprise at the end of Goblet of Fire. This is so much of the other books. The main focus is the relationship between Harry and Voldemort. Right. Especially as we progress, that's going to be the number one topic we're probably going to be talking about over and over again. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have that discussion throughout this book. We might not even mention Voldemort a lot. Totally. I think there's something so satisfying about getting gaps filled in on Harry's past. Yes. And why Harry is the way he is and what really happened to him and what really happened to James and Lily. The fact that we're getting those gaps filled in is really satisfying in this one. I think that's that was the overwhelming feeling I had. When I did get to read this one, when I got up to reading it, I was like, oh, I understand Harry way more now. I love tracking Harry's growth through the books. I feel like every book presents Harry with a specific sort of lesson to learn. Yeah. I do think a lot of this book is going to be learning about himself through the lens of his family. Yeah. A family he really has not in any way gotten to know. We're not really going to talk a lot about Remus Lupin today specifically because the book does a lot of setup in these first four chapters, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to see. I think that there's multiple reasons why Remus Lupin comes to Hogwarts. Yeah. The first, I think, Dumbledore knowing that Remus is going to be the best line of defense for Harry against Sirius because Remus will know Sirius more than anything. Yes. But I also think that there is intention in letting Remus manifest a relationship with Harry. Totally. At this point in his life. At this point in his life. Because Dumbledore could have been like, okay, you're a student at the school and I care a lot about you and I'm going to bring in Remus to meet you early on because you're finally in this world and this is the one person who knows your parents even better than I know your parents. Yeah, like around. 
Harry's first and second years. And not doing much, totally yeah. available yeah. to come to Hogwarts yeah. and meet Harry. Yeah, yeah. that's actually a, a sort of sad realization I had recently was why Remus, why this year? And it's because, like you said, Dumbledore's number one motivation for, this is a read between the lines thing. This is never explicitly stated, but Dumbledore's number one motivation for hiring Remus, other than the fact that he was probably like, yeah, he'll probably be a pretty good teacher, is the fact that he has expertise on Sirius Black and will be used as a line of defense should Sirius try and come after Harry. Right. Yeah, that's so sad. Can you imagine how Remus must feel when he figures that out instead of just thinking, oh, he must have thought I would be a good teacher? But I think Remus knew. I think he knew taking the take taking the job. I think he knew and he took the job. Yeah. Obviously, it's plastered. Even as we're going to read in this first chapter, all over the Muggle news. Yeah. That Sirius has escaped Azkaban. Yeah. And imagine the I don't want to say hatred because I really can't. Especially as we're going to learn a lot about Remus. Mm. I don't see him as the kind of person who hates many people. Yeah. He has what I feel is a forgiving nature about mm-hmm. him, but he must be so confused not have being able to talk to Sirius after what happened with right. James and Lily right. and confused. You know? He just got carted off to Azkaban immediately. Yeah. And there was no yeah. recourse and no ability for his friends to stick up for him. Totally. It's especially sad that because considering everything and Remus and Sirius's you know, friendship, Remus should have been like, this is kind of sus that they think Sirius did it. But we have to remember that it before, this is just backstory, setting everything up before we get into the book. We have to remember that at the end of the war, before Halloween, Sirius and, it's canon that Sirius and Remus had come to completely distrust each other. Remus was going on a lot of order missions for Dumbledore, trying to infiltrate werewolf colonies, but wasn't I don't think allowed to tell his friends what was going on. So Sirius, he was gone all the time and Sirius suspected him and grew apart and they started to distrust each other. So then when Sirius was, we know, framed for the murder, but, you know, from Remus's perspective, when when Sirius was convicted for what happened to James and Lily, Remus was like, oh, we'd been drifting apart. I guess he was doing some suspicious things. I guess I never really knew him, which is, the, I guess the that had to be the only thing stopping Remus from being like, Sirius would never do anything against James and Lily. Right, and it just shows that in such, I don't know, times of conflict and confusion where anybody could really be going behind your back and being an enemy, I mean, look at Peter Pettigrew. And they knew that there was somebody in the order that was giving information because people were being picked off. So you just don't know who it is. And they had come to distrust each other. Crazy. Crazy, yeah. So it's interesting. I, I love the introduction of Remus. The visual of watching the movie and seeing him taking the walks with Harry. The interesting thing is, as far as what we see in the film, Remus could be way more forthcoming about how deep his friendship went with James and Lily. It's interesting to think about the fact that Remus, instead of coming into Harry's life as Uncle Mooney, he chooses to be Professor Lupin at that point in Harry's life. It's gonna It's going to be interesting rereading and like, seeing why you know what i mean yeah, he sets a boundary really there is a boundary a really interesting boundary yeah that i actually think is quite appropriate in a world where not very many adults set boundaries to harry yeah remus sets one totally and that's something that makes him commendable so with that we open it up to harry of course chapter one owl post the first thing i wrote is the first paragraph of this book sounds like a tween movie. It says, 
Harry Potter was a highly unusual boy in many ways. For one thing, he hated the summer holidays more than any other time of year. For another, he really wanted to do his homework, but was forced to do it in secret in the dead of night. And he also happened to be a wizard. <laughs> it's silly. It's cute. Yes, yeah, so yeah. he's reading A History of Magic by Mathilda Backshot. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Absolutely. Yeah. A very interesting... Easter egg. Yeah. I always... We have this discussion, I think, every time we read these books, but I always wonder what she's intentionally snuck in. Yeah. Or if she was like, oh, I've already used Mathilda Bagshot. I could weave it earlier. in this way. I might as well just reuse this. Yeah. And repurpose. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm, she may be an absolutely terrible person, but she is a really brilliant writer. Yeah. Yeah. You can't deny that. Yeah. Just especially in terms of her creating the universe. Yeah. Which there's some discrepancies, but not a whole lot. Yeah. So Harry is home at the Dursleys. Well, not really home for him, but he's spending the summer back at the Dursleys. And he's having to do basically all of his magical homework. In the middle of the night. In the dead of night, in the middle of the night, to hide it from the Dursleys, who obviously are trying to make him, I think, lock all of his books and trunk and everything away. Yeah. And he's, so he's writing an essay on is the witch trials or something to do with like persecution yes. yeah, persecution of witches in like the 1700s. And just, we get this excerpt of history of magic on page two, or you might be in a different page than I am, but we get this excerpt and it just, every time I read excerpts from their like wizard textbooks, it makes me just like have this desire for more lore. You know, we are, we already have a ton of lore, but I want like historical lore. Like I want somebody who's not the author to write like a Harry Potter Silmarillion. You know what I mean? Like how the, the Lord of the Rings fandom has the Silmarillion, which is like all the elvish Right. Lore. Have you seen Alarm 18 on Instagram? Oh, I love Alarm 18. Have you seen the books that he's Yes, done? he does Those recreations of the prop books. They're incredible. And they're, he's filled them out with a bunch of, I, I would kill to get one of his books. I think they're very expensive, but. Oh yeah, they're like $300. But of, co so. of course, rightly so, yeah. Cause he's put so much work into them, but someday, someday. I'll get one. We'll put that on the Patreon. Get us an Alarm 18 book. Yeah. And there's another section where he, the, the author, like the narrate, whoever's narrating this like omniscient third person who's narrating fully just says like Harry's dead parents. Oh yeah. <laughs> Harry's dead parents who had been a witch and wizard themselves were never mentioned under, under the Dursley's roof. Like that's a little, Harry's dead parents. Well, true. A little bit blunt. Yeah. A little bit blunt, but I think it just goes to show maybe the tone of Harry Wall at the Dursley's house versus Harry Wall at Hogwarts. That's a, that's a really good observation. So basically the, the beginning of the book, we always struggle not to spend so much time on plot specifics, but Harry is hiding his homework from the Dursleys. We get this very endearing moment of Ron trying to call the Dursleys and screaming on the phone. Because he doesn't know how to use because he, he doesn't know how to use a muggle telephone. It's, it's so very brilliant. cute. And yeah. And then he's, you know, too afraid to call again because rightly assuming that Harry must have gotten in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. He did. Which he did, yeah, exactly. Um, and we also get Harry's birthday. His very first birthday card. His very first birthday card, yes. Because so, he'd have gotten one second year because Dobby was withholding all his mail. Yeah. And uh, Hed Hedwig sort of sneaks Harry's gifts in at night. Yep. And Ron has gotten him... A sneakoscope. A sneakoscope. Going to be useful later on. Correct. 
and Hagrid has sent along a book. The Monster Book of Monsters. Monster book. A book I would actually not want in my library. Uh, we will see a lot more of this book later, but you know, Hagrid sort of says, you're going to need this book this year, can't tell you why yet. Cute. Very cute. Adorable. Hagrid is so thoughtful. And then Hermione just sends the best gift of all. He's so excited she about it. She said she had to mail order for it. Clearly she put a lot of thought into the gift and she sends him like a broom upkeep kit. Yeah, it's a broom servicing kit. So so sweet and cute. thoughtful. Yeah, and he loves it. He's so excited about it. It's like all he, th- he can think about when Aunt Marge comes the next chapter. I do think this shows a specific side of Harry and Hermione's relationship. I know you are not a fan of the prospect of them romantically being together. Obviously, they are still children at this point. Correct. No preteens, but children. Mm-hmm. I just think Hermione understands something about Harry. She just gets him in a different way. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It's like emotional side to Harry mm-hmm. as well, or just so much different than how boys get each other. I think yeah. she just gets something deeper there's something in harry and hermione's friendship that harry could never get from ron but likewise there's something in ron and harry's friendship that he could never get from hermione you know what i mean like the compliment the the way the trio like compliments each other is really beautiful his relationship with ron is definitely a boy relationship yeah (laughs) yes and his relationship with hermione i i just think hermione gets him on an emotional level that ron could just never because Especially at this point in his life, is not emotionally mature enough. Just because he has the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. a teaspoon. Another thing we should note is, along with the sneakoscope, Ron sends a card and a newspaper clipping of the fact that the Weasleys won, uh, Mr. Weasley won a competition at the ministry where he got a amount of prize money. He mm-hmm. got 700 galleons. I did a little bit of math as to what in US dollars 700 galleons would translate to us. That it should be noted that the Harry Potter lexicon has a wizarding currency exchange rate calculator on their website. We'll link it in the show notes. Oh. And it's what's cool about it is you can plug in date. So like what would it have equaled on this date? It's very cool. I don't know where they got this math, but it's awesome. So in on July 30th, 1993, 700 galleons would be $5,197.59 US. Hardly enough to take all seven of your children to Egypt. You don't think so? In the 90s, perhaps. Yeah. Now with airfare, hotel, food. Well, I mean, keep in mind that the UK is closer to Egypt than we are in the US. Yeah. I don't know how much, tra- I don't know anything about travel. It like a long should, Probably. Well, I and, guess they wouldn't have flown. They would have oh, used magical Turkey transportation, or obviously. Yeah. But they go to, right. they go to visit Bill, and there's a picture of them in the newspaper, Ron sends the clipping. And I just, I, I think it's really sweet that the Weasleys... You know, the Weasleys are not rolling in money. Well, as Harry says, Harry couldn't think of anyone who deserved to win a large pile of gold more than the Weasleys. We're very nice and extremely poor. Yeah, but the fact that they use it on, you know, an experience for the family as opposed to like, oh, we just have to save this is like kind of sweet that they like, you know, give their kids a good experience. Yeah, and they go to visit Bill. Isn't this the second time they've gone to visit Bill? Yes, because... Mr. and Mrs. Weasley went the first year, second year, to visit him. To visit Bill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bill. But now the whole family gets to go. And Scabbers is in the photo. Important knowledge for later. Yes, important knowledge for later. Yeah. That's basically chapter one. The first chapter of each book is sort of like recap for dummies or people who didn't read the books in order. Or who haven't read in quite a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. 
That's we also do get one more important thing to know about the first chapter. It is, it will be important later, is that McGonagall sends along a very large letter filled with all of the things Harry's going to need for the next year, but also includes his Hogsmeade. Right. Papers that need to be signed by a guardian. Correct. A privilege extended to, to third years to go into the local village. Yeah. I would die to go to Hogsmeade. We've been to... Hogsmeade. We have been to Hogsmeade. It was a great day. It was a great Such day. a lovely day. It kind of took me to Hogsmeade. Chapter two, Aunt Marge's big mistake. Oh boy, did she make a big mistake. Oh, Aunt Marge adds such a I, I cringy element. I really dislike her. Yeah, she's like, she's like the, the muggle. Yes, Marge is like the muggle umbra. So we get this introduction that... Aunt Marge is coming for a visit. Aunt Marge being Uncle Vernon's older sister? I believe so. And Harry is immediately in dismay of why she has to come, why she has to stay. And Vernon is over the moon that his sister is arriving. He seems quite excited. Nobody else really seems to match the enthusiasm. But Vernon strikes a deal with Harry that if Harry can pretend... Like, instead of going to Hogwarts, he's been going to some boys' school. St. Brutus's. St. Brutus's, where he's being beat. Yeah. And he can convince Disciplined. Aunt Marge that he has been being disciplined. Uncle Vernon will sign his papers. Yes. To he, allow he basically to to blackmails Hogwarts. Uncle Vernon. Yeah. That he might let slip where he really goes to school unless he signs the papers and Uncle Vernon says, I'll do you one better. You have to be good this weekend, otherwise I won't sign him yeah it's also on the tv on the muggle news station muggle news stations are reporting the escape of a dangerous convict Sirius black although on the muggle news networks it does not say where he has escaped from which really angers uncle vernon and aunt petunia who are confused as to why that you know they can't know where this convict is coming from maybe he's down the street spoiler alert, he is yeah actually <laughs> literally he's down the street that's a funny thing in there so this is the first harry's gonna learn that name yes yeah but crazy that i mean we'll find out in subsequent books that the muggle prime minister and the minister of magic are in contact the muggle prime minister is let know about the magical world and then dudley gets paid to hug aunt marge oh my oh dudley oh dudley he gets a 20 pound note which is a lot of money it is a lot of money there's a particular conversation that and then i mean aunt marge is just horrendous to harry she's awful aunt marge breeds dogs she breeds bulldogs she notes that Damn good of Vernon and Petunia to keep you. Would have done it. Wouldn't have done it myself. You'd have gone straight to an orphanage if you'd been dumped on my doorstep. Just horrible. And then she launches into sort of a tirade about how what she's seen with dogs is if there's a problem with the. This is a few days later. She's been here for yes. a few days. Harry's been pretty good about keeping his mouth shut, not speaking back to her because he really wants that permission slip signed. And then on her last night, the family's having dinner and she launches into this tirade, mechanic and About how if there's a problem with the pup, it almost always is because of the mother dog. Yes. And that the problems with the children stem with the parents. She asks Vernon and Petunia 
what did Harry's parents do for a job or what did his father do for a job? I believe they tell her that he was unemployed and she starts talking in about Harry's parents, essentially that they were lazy, that they were no good, that all of Harry's problems, which Vernon has fabricated, yes, stem because his parents were degenerates. Yes. And this breaks Harry. Absolutely. And this is a theme because when Voldemort was in the chamber with Harry, just not only maybe months ago, and he started talking about Lily being a mudblood, which is like same conversation with wizard spin on it. Yeah. Harry like broke, like he couldn't handle it. Yeah. And so we know that defending his parents means something very strong. Harry idolizes his parents. They were martyrs, you know, and he idolizes his parents and that's going to add an interesting dynamic, dynamic to this in, year. In, and in order of the Phoenix. Yes when he sort of sees his parents from Snape's perspective. Right. And, but to a little boy whose parents have died. Yeah. And I mean, we've all, uh, we all as kids think our parents are perfect. And when we find out they aren't, it's kind of a sad day. It's devastating to realize that your parents have flaws. We'll talk about that later. Right. But at this point, and Harry parents, breaks. the image of Harry's parents is everything to him. Yes, absolutely. And and somebody is slandering them. And he feels like it's his job to defend them because yep. they gave their lives for him. Yep. And so Harry doesn't have to say an incantation or do a spell or hold his wand because we know when magic is repressed, as it has been for Harry in all forms this summer, he hasn't even been able to forget waving wands and doing spells. He can't do anything. He can't... Can we mention something about that? In the film, in the Prisoner of Azkaban film, in the first scene, he's practicing a Lumos Maxima spell under his sheets. Right. Not allowed. You can't do magic outside of school. No. So that wouldn't have, even if it's not in the presence of a muggle. So that's an inaccuracy in the film. It is an inaccuracy, yes. Continue. But his magic has been repressed. Yes. All summer. Mm -hmm. And now he's exceptionally angry. And we know that this is often how children stumble into their powers Mm -hmm. when they're witches and wizards. And in Fantastic Beasts, we see like the extreme version of Mm -hmm. what happens when you repress magic. And he breaks and Marge starts blowing up like a Thanksgiving, a Macy's Thanksgiving balloon. (laughs) That's exactly what it's like. The scene in the movie is brilliant with the chick who plays the trench bowl in Matilda. Yeah. She's so good. And all of the the beads pop around her neck and she essentially just flies out the window. Yep. With Vernon at her. At her heels. At her heels. Yeah, he's trying to catch her and she just, she floats away. And Harry packs up and leaves. leaves. And he is ready in the next chapter. It's so funny because he's like out on the street. He like took his trunk. He took Hedwig's cage. Hedwig is gone. He sent her off to Ron's. And he's like, I'm ready to be a wizard outcast for the rest of my life. Because he's like, I'm expelled. There's no way. Yeah, they're going to break my wand. There's no way I'm going back to Hogwarts. Yeah. And he's like in his head thinking like, how many galleons do I have to survive? Yeah. Well, and he, the other thing he thinks he's like, I don't even know if I'm just expelled. I might be like incarcerated for this. Yeah. They the might, he's the like, law. do you think I could get into Gringotts and get some money before they like come arrest me? Like he thinks he's in really big trouble, which takes us into chapter three, the night bus. Can we just say what a parallel this is? that Harry thinks he needs to evade the law and that he's in super trouble. Meanwhile, his godfather is out in the world actually evading the law. Yeah. 
And he's about to meet him. And he's about to meet him. Though he doesn't know it. Yeah. I love that he just, he packs up his trunk and he just like walks down a couple blocks and he's just like, I'll sit here and try and figure it out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is such a, it's like such the cliche of a kid running away, right? You're just like, you're like, I'm running away. You leave your house and you go like three blocks over. Yes, exactly. You're like, what do I do? (laughs) Who do I call? What's happening? Um, Yeah, I mean, he's 13, so. And then he, you know, he sees the grim. He sees this big black dog staring at him from across the street. Right. And then immediately as he sees this dog, this triple-decker purple bus pulls up with this pimply kid on the back. Future Death Eaters. Future Death Eater. We don't see this in the film. Stan Shunpike becomes a Death Eater, which is really sad. It is really sad. Because I love, and I I absolutely love, this is one of my favorite parts of the book is the night bus. It's so, there's so many things that we get in Prisoner of Azkaban, so many like new wizarding things we get that are so quirky and fun. The, the night bus is one of these. The night bus is definitely one of these. So the night bus comes to pick up Harry. He is, doesn't want to say who he is. He says he's Neville Longbottom. He says he's Neville Longbottom. Which is hilarious. We get, take her away, Ed. But there is no shrunken head. That was an addition to the film. It's not in the book. And honestly, it was an addition we didn't need. Yeah. The Rastafarian shrunken head. Yeah. Kind of a racist trope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. And just the, the, everything about the night bus is so chaotic. And I love that there's just like a million beds in there and the bus. I said, so this is, I guess you can put a magical extension charm. Yeah. Right, because the, the Weezies have done it with the Fort Anglia, and we see it done here on the night bus as well. It has to be. Right? There's no way this bus would have held what I imagine to be like rows a bunch of, beds of beds and stuff. Yeah. Right? In the movie, it seems like sort of a normal size, but perhaps you're onto something with this magical extension charm and all the beds. And Harry says, Take me to the leaky cauldron. The, the night bus, the purpose of the night bus is to pick up the stranded witch or wizard. And we're not exactly sure if the night bus just like has this thing when it senses that there's a stranded witch or wizard or if Fudge sent the night bus for Harry, having known something about him. I mean, they would have known about Marge. Right. So perhaps then they were like, we should probably go pick up Harry. Like, I don't know how the night bus- I love that they sent him. If that's true, that they would have sent the night bus and not, you know, an Auror. Yeah. To come somebody in. qualified leave him with Stan Shunpike yeah the Death Eater he's got I this love- hilarious Cockney accent and there's a, some dialect writing which is really funny uh, I love that Harry says how come the muggles don't hear the bus and Stan says them don't listen properly do they don't look properly either never n- notice nothing don't they it's, it's awesome the way the speech the like dialect writing is awesome Harry notices that, that Sirius Black this man he's seen on the muggle tv is on Stan's newspaper. Right. We get this hilarious description of a gun. Uh, A kind of metal wand that muggles use to kill each other. Yeah, (laughs) ridiculous. And then Stan starts telling Harry about Sirius. So Harry realizes that Sirius is a wizard convict, not just a muggle convict that's escaped. Murdered 13 people with one curse. He was a big supporter. He was a big supporter of you know who. I love that whole thing exchange in the film and then harry goes what voldemort and then it says even stan's pimples went white when he used his name funny yeah we remember we've had discussions about this previously but people are afraid to use voldemort's name because there were rumors during the first wizarding war that saying his name inside like would have was part of a taboo charm 
that would then like summon him or summon Death Eaters to you, but just using the name. So pe- that's why people are afraid to use his name. So that's why Stan is freaked out when Harry says that. You out of your tree, what you say his name for? <laughs> Sorry about my accent. Stan sort of gives the lore version of Sirius Black. Yeah, the, what the general populace knows about Sirius. And he says, well, he tells him first that he, or Harry reads the billboard and he says he murdered 13 people with one curse. Stan says, yep, in front of witnesses and all, broad daylight. He says, you know whose supporters were tracked down. Most of them knew it was all over with you know who gone and they came quiet, but not Sirius Black. I heard he thought he'd be the second in command once you know who had been taken over. Anyway, they cornered Black in the middle of a street full of muggles and Black took out his wand and blasted half the street apart. And a wizard got it and so did a dozen muggles. What got in the way? And you know what Black did then? laughed just stood there and laughed and when reinforcements from the ministry got there he went with them quiet as anything still laughing his head off and that is what happened from you know a normal outsider's perspective Sirius was laughing when he was arrested just not for the reason we think then they're talking they're kind of talking about Azkaban and Harry remembers that Hagrid had gone to Azkaban said it was horrible and he and then he has this quote he says Hagrid was one of the bravest people Harry knew which is cute they arrive at the Leaky Cauldron. The Minister of Magic is there to meet Harry. I'd be what terrified. Are these people? Totally. Absolutely. But like, he's there to meet Harry. Right. And Harry, surprisingly, Fudge has this incredibly cavalier attitude about the situation. Like, oh, it's fine. Hermione says, oh, I, I was sure you should have been expelled. And Ron says, expelled. Imagine if I blew up my aunt, something much worse would have happened to me. They would have had to dig up my body after my mom killed me. Well, and it's, you know, it's actually a commentary on if you are on Fudge's good side. Your life is peachy. Your life is peachy. But when the coin flips after Goblet of Fire, Harry is protecting somebody with magic. Fudge tries to do away with him. And I think a, a big part of this is controlling the narrative right which is what politics is right now if fudge is the protector of harry and fudge has influence over harry he controls the narrative Mm -hmm. the ministry gets to keep going on they don't really have to try that hard to make sure that you know who is not back Mm -hmm. or not coming back and they get to have harry as their golden poster child of you know, like there's hope in the world and totally. we have survived, you know, who, and like Harry is proof of that. Yeah. But when crap hits the fan in the next book and then it kind of escalates from there and Harry grows up and has a voice and has the ability to say, I've seen Voldemort with mm-hmm. my own eyes. I watched him murder Cedric. Well, Fudge is no longer in control of the narrative. Absolutely. And I mean, we do... It- also, you know, Harry needs to be protected right now because Black is on the thing. He needs to be protected much later and Fudge does not help with Absolutely, that. you're right. It's just interesting the the dichotomy of what happens between Sirius this year and fifth year. a really easy person to pin it all on. Yeah. He comes from a sketchy family mm-hmm. who are all purebloods, you know. It makes sense that he could have been a traitor, that he could have... Had his friends and the odds were all the evidence was against him, right? Like he, like as far as anybody knows, he was yeah, yeah. Like, but but they like it's not even like I mean that part's a setup, but like as far as they're concerned, like what happened with the Potters is not a setup. Like they they are 
completely convinced that he did it. Right. Yeah. I mean, because Pierre and Voldemort orchestrated it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. But beyond that, everything in Sirius's past would make sense that he would follow his family's lineage totally. and his brother's lineage totally. or you know like his influence and become a death eater like that just makes sense yeah and so Sirius becomes like the perfect poster boy to frame to it scapegoat. all on yeah and we're like this is not even once we go through the series of events in this book with Sirius this is not the last time the ministry is going to say no. like it's serious is on the loose still still and we have everything to blame when Voldemort, Voldemort back yeah. it's all serious yeah totally and we, that's why i hate fudge absolutely oh what he does to serious is criminal and he's meant to be right he fudge is written to be the corrupt and terrible politician totally and he serves his purpose with that. no spine he's yeah. completely spineless yeah absolutely but when you know like you said, when they can control the narrative, Harry is a good person to have. So Fudge comes to meet him. He's totally nice. He lets Harry know that we find out about this thing in the ministry called the Accidental Magical Reversal Squad, or I'm sorry, Accidental Magic Reversal Squad. They set Aunt Marge right and they erase her memory and everything's all peachy keen. And Fudge is like, yeah, you're good to go. You, were, you just stay here for three weeks until school starts and don't wander. And Harry's like, wandering oh. sounds fun. He does listen to Fudge mostly, but Harry knows something is up. He thinks something is suspicious. Right. And I think he keeps seeing Mysterious Black. We see it in his internal dialogue where he's wondering if this has something to do with Sirius Black. It would obviously have to be a very high value wizard convict to make it onto Muggle News. Yeah. When's the last time, from our knowledge that a wizard has made muggle news. I don't even know. We don't even know how much Voldemort was in the muggle news during the first wizarding war. We just know that the celebrations were captured on muggle news yeah. when he was yeah. defeated. Yeah, that's all we know from the book. Right. So this has to be a big deal, Sirius Black. And I think he senses, like, this is quite odd. Because it's in both worlds. Absolutely. Fudge says, sorry, Harry, but rules are rules. Like, he cares about rules. <laughs> And then, and then Harry is like, oh, hey, by the way, can you sign this permission slip? And Fudge is like, no. Nothing to do. He's like, but you're the Minister of Magic. And he's like, no. Hedwig's there because she's brilliant. Yes, she's come back. And we get just sort of the next three weeks of Harry staying at the Leaky Cauldron. And just like funny to think about the fact, yeah, this leads us into chapter four, the Leaky Cauldron. It's just funny to think about this kid is 13 staying by himself alone in a hotel room. Like I'll tell you when I was 23, I had a delayed flight, which left me in Amsterdam by myself for 23 hours, but it like, wasn't even Amsterdam. It was like 90 minutes outside the city in like the tulip fields. And I was just in this hotel room by myself. And I was like, I don't know what to do with myself for one night. So like a 13 year old for three weeks. And mind you, he's right by Diagon Alley, which is nice and fun. And there are things for him to do there, but there are only so, there's only so much things you can do in three weeks in Diagon Alley. Right, we see, we see he, I love this for Harry because I think he finally gets to fully indulge in the wizarding world. Absolutely, he and he gets to learn about gets, how to spend his money and be responsible, you know? He goes and he gets ice cream and he spends time at Flourish and Blots and he goes to the Quidditch store and you know window shops and has to stop himself from the temptation of spending his enormous fortune. I think it says somewhere in there that he couldn't imagine having to ask Vernon and Petunia for money Mm -hmm. too. 
after he spent this fortune. Exactly. So he's like, I mean, he, you know, he's like, you know, I have to be kind of frugal and which is nice that he, you know, and it's interesting to think about because he has no parental figures right there with him or barely at all in his life in to way, sort of help him the weasleys are good for him in that way because yeah. he sees you can be happy without having to spend lavishly yeah versus how did he become i mean for so many reasons this is wrong but had he become close friends with draco malfoy he would have seen the opposite totally that lavish he would have bought their bolt immediately exactly because yeah. he would have been constantly trying to keep up with the status quo but yeah being friends with Ron, that same status quo, it, it's just not there for the Weasleys because they can't afford it. Yeah. And their happiness comes from family vacations and They're spending time together sweet. rather than Weasleys. buying things. People are talking about Black on the street, obviously. It's a big deal. And I just, I, I wonder, and I guess we'll find this out more later, but like, I wonder really how much the general populace knew about what happened. And I guess we sort of get that from what Stan said. Like, that's the extent of what everybody knows. I would think that's what people talk about. I don't think people really know the fact that Sirius is the, the people, like, it is believed that Sirius is the reason that James and Lily Potter are dead. Like, I don't think the general population knows that. Probably that. That's probably on a need-to-know basis. Right, correct. I would agree with that. And then there's this other interesting little tidbit. You know, he's, Harry spends a lot of time at Florian Fortescue's, the ice cream parlor, and... Mr. Fortescue continually brings him Sundays. It's it should be noted that Alice Longbottom, before she was married to Frank, her last name is Fortescue. I don't know what her relation is to the owner of the ice cream shop, but is it is you know Florian Fortescue's favor of Harry perhaps because of his parents' relationship with Alice and Frank? Wouldn't you think that Neville would get some special treatment while in Diagon Alley? I would hope so at the ice cream parlor. If, if it has to do with that, I don't know. Maybe they're like distantly related. I the hope Fort that Dusky they're family. closely related. And I hope that Neville gets a free Sunday every time he goes. Yeah. And I think this is so sad. So we see that Harry meets up with Seamus and Dean. And he sees Neville. And Neville's grandmother's giving him quite a hard time for something. So he doesn't say hello to him. Yeah. Poor Nev. Deserves so much better. Deserves so much better. So we, we see him like tool around with just the wizarding world. And it's cute. He gets to be cute. comfortable in a place where he feels home. And he's like kind of growing up. Right. And I think the alone time is probably good for Harry. He probably doesn't get a lot of time alone that's away from the Dursleys and away from his friends at Hogwarts. Yeah, in a boarding school, you don't get a lot of alone time. No, you're constantly always with people. Like think about how you were in a college dorm. Right. You're All never alone. No. So I think it's nice for Harry to have some time to like think life over. Mm. And then Ron and Hermione kind of show up. Yeah. And the three are reunited. Yeah. And they're all, you know, they're getting their new school supplies. Harry has two new subjects this year, Care of Magical Creatures and Divination. So he's getting stuff for that. We hear that Hermione has loads of new subjects. Correct. Like too many. Like what the heck? That doesn't seem are to make sense. sense. She's taking wise. muggle studies, which they're like, why? <laughs> I think it would be interesting to learn about muggles. Wizarding perspective. perspective. And I, I tend to agree. I think that would be interesting. It is interesting. And she could probably really like offer a really interesting perspective. In and I path. think that right there to me solidified why Hermione would make an amazing minister of magic. Totally. With the, with the integration of the two worlds. Absolutely. Just the ability to want to see things from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ron and her, Ron and Harry are like, well, you already know that. She's like, 
well, there's more to learn about mm-hmm. that. And maybe I don't really know all of that. Yeah. And I love Hermione's perpetual intellectual curiosity. Absolutely. Then they go to, Hermione decides she wants an owl. So they go to, I believe, Ilops, Owl Emporium. And, or is that the one in Hogsmeade? I can't remember if it's in Hogsmeade or Diagonale. No, I think Ilops is. In Diagonale, right? Diagonale. Anyway, they go to the Owlry. And Hermione is set on getting a owl. And while they're there, Ron takes Scabbers up to the counter. And Scabbers, as of late, ironic, or not ironically, it's not irony. It's just interesting. As of late, like the last, I don't know, few months hasn't hasn't been looking so good yeah and he takes ron takes scabbers up to the counter and he's like hey do you have anything that'll like make my rock feel better we noticed that scabbers is missing a toe ding ding and this giant orange thing (laughs) jumps on scabbers is freaked out it's this old grizzly looking cat very perceptive cat very perceptive cat slash kneesel He's part Kniesel, which is a a Kniesel is a wizarding creature that's like, like a cat. And should be noted that they are good judges of character. That is a thing about Kniesels. And then a few minutes later, Hermione emerges from the shop with this cat in her arms. And she goes, isn't he adorable? His name is Crookshanks. And And Ron's like, that thing tried to kill my rat. My absolute favorite fan theory in the entirety of the Harry Potter universe is the theory that Crookshanks was once the Potter's cat because the Potters had a cat. Lily writes about it in her letter to Sirius and we see Crookshanks have this affinity for Sirius later so much so that he gives Sirius the passwords to the Gryffindor common room and this hatred for Scabbers and it's just and you know it's this is a theory that's neither been confirmed nor denied by the author but it's just interesting. And people are like, no, it's not anything. It's just that Kniesels are really good judges of character and that's it. But it's like, there seems to be something more. That is my absolute favorite fan theory that Crookshanks would, because we never know what happens to the cat after the Potters die. Yeah. And it's said that he's been in the shop for a really long time. Yeah, maybe uh, 13 years long. Ooh. Ooh. That's my favorite fan theory. Anyway. I love that. So, so he like seems to know Scabbers the twins with Percy when Percy's head boy. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so good. There's just so many. They give him absolute hell for this. And Percy's being kind of a git with his like new head boy sort of privileges. Oh my gosh. It is. I want to find like some 60. My book's different than yours. Oh, right. oh, so it's so funny. So when Percy sees Harry for the first time, he shakes his hand it was rather like being introduced to the mayor and then fred comes up elbows percy the way and says splendid to see, simply splendid to see you old boy marvelous said george pushing fred aside and seizing harry's hand in turn absolutely spiffing <laughs> they say they tried to shut him in a pyramid when they were in egypt and mrs weasley says i hope you've heard our exciting news second head boy in the family charlie was the first or bill and then Charlie was Quidditch captain. And George says, what do we want to be prefects for? It would take all the fun out of life. Also, I just, side note, everyone should know, McKenna and I are wearing matching, like, Harry Potter snuggy, nighty things that her husband bought for us. They're incredible. We learned that the Ministry of Magic is providing cars to take the entire Weasley family to King's Cross Station. Including Harry. Including Harry. And... The boys inquire as to why the ministry would send them cars. And 
Mr. Weesey sort of writes it off as well. They're trying to be helpful and they know we don't have a car and they're just doing this. So leave it alone. <laughs> so they give the Weasleys a motorcade. Um, I love that the boys steal Percy's head boy badge. And then change it so it says what, big head boy. Big head. But Harry... Um, doesn't, when you read about the Weasleys, doesn't it make you wish you had seven siblings? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I always wanted... Just like an outrageously sized family. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They're like, so be, endearing. To be the youngest girl of seven big brothers would just be... Well, that's why Ginny turns out the way she turns out. I think the last really important thing that we get here is Harry overhearing a conversation between Mrs. and Mr. Weasley. And so in the movies, it's important to know, I think that this goes very different where Mr. Weasley pulls Harry aside and speaks to him directly and tells him what happened, vaguely tells him what happened with Sirius and that, you know, there's a chance that Sirius could be coming back to finish what Harry you know, yeah. by killing Harry. And instead we hear this conversation between Mrs. Weasley and Mr. Weasley, where Mr. Weasley is saying that he really believes that Harry should know. And Mrs. Weasley saying, you know, he's only a boy, he's only 13. He doesn't need to know because he'll be with Albus and Albus will protect him. And he doesn't need another reason in life to stress him out. And so they're sort of having this back and forth and Mrs. Weasley's, well, whatever you feel is best, but I just think that Harry should not know and he should be fine. But of course, Harry finds out. Because he's overhearing. <laughs> because he's overhearing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's quite sweet. He says in the book, or we hear him kind of think to himself that he agrees with Mrs. Weasley wherever Albus Dumbledore is, he would be safe because after all, everybody always says he's the only person that you know who was ever truly afraid of. Yeah. And the the chapter ends with Harry looking into his mirror in his room at the Leaky Cauldron and saying, I'm not going to be murdered, Harry said out loud. And the mirror talks back and it goes, that's the spirit, dear, <laughs> said the mirror sleepily. Excellent. I love that the mirror talks. Just love a funny that. Little, yeah, funny little detail. And with that is chapters one through four. Next time we will pick up with chapters five through eight. Mm -hmm. We're going to meet Remus Lupin next chapter on the train. I'm so excited. We've got the boys here. Say hi, boys. Hi, boys. <laughs> we have my boyfriend, Austin, and McKenna's husband, Mike. Do you guys just want to tell us what your houses are? I am a happy Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hufflepuff. And... Uh, Black he, and yellow, right? He's so excited to be here. <laughs> he's nervous. But he's doing it for me because he's a good boy. Because <laughs> I'm a good boy. We also have Scott if Velasquez here. You get a treat. Yeah, we also have the baby Scoot. Scott Velasquez, most also, beloved dog. Definitely a Hufflepuff dog. That's true. Wants to cuddle with mom all day. Exclusively. And have, sometimes Aunt Erin. I have all the Hufflepuff qualities of happiness and Love loves food and sillies. And be and loyal. Yeah, very loyal. I thought that was Gryffindor's thing. No, that's your, that's Hufflepuff. And Gryffindor is not known for loyalty. Known for chivalry. Austin, why don't you mm. tell us about Gryffindor? Hi, I'm Austin. I'm Aaron's boyfriend, and I am a Gryffindor. We thought we would intro Mike and Austin into the podcast with some trivia. Some of these questions are based on the books and or the films. Some of them are based on past podcast episodes, so to test your knowledge of listening. I've read maybe three lines total of any Harry Potter book. Yes, but you've listened so, to all of the episodes of the I podcast. Have, I have. Yeah, I've listened to all the podcasts, but I've never actually, like, 
like we will be watching a movie together and i'll be like why is this like this and like mike even is like oh well in the books it says that because he's just reread them and i i have no hashtag get austin to read the harry potter series 2021 okay without further ado here we go question number one name all four hogwarts founders first and last name how do we want to break this up? Like, do you want to do two and me do two or like? No, just do it together. They're such a cute team. Yeah. <laughs> Godric Gryffindor. I know they all like kind of sound like. They're all alliterations. Is it uh, Renona? Ravona? Ravona? Racona? <laughs> Ravino? No. It's something like that. Right? You were... What is it? Roanoke Rovin. Close. <laughs> what did you say? Rowan. You're just saying it kind of wrong, but it's the right spelling. Rowena Ravenclaw. And then Hufflepuff. Isn't that the first thing I said? No. It's not Helena. Very, no, but that's pretty close. Helena Daughter. That's the one that has the diet. Yes. Yeah. Good job, Mike. I get a bonus point for that. Yeah. I have no idea. So we had Salazar and Godric. So we now have another woman, Hufflepuff. Yes. Hufflepuff founder. I, I don't know. I feel like no one ever talked about Hufflepuff. Like, Puffs. Poor Hufflepuffs. Like, even in the podcast, it's like there's no mention we, of. I, we try our best to be very inclusive of the other houses. Well, in the, in the, like, the books, in the movies are probably 95% Griffin. Griffin, absolutely. Well, sure. Because no. everything's from the point of view of Harry. Yeah. The books right. are like 80% Gryffindor and. 85% Gryffindor and 15% everyone else. Right. But, but, but even like Ravenclaw has like the diet and all that jazz. Like there's like, there's more to it. Hufflepuff just like. Well, doesn't... one of the Horcrux is Hufflepuff's cup. So just give us an A. No idea. Okay. Yes. All right. The They're answer... all named with an H. If there's Helena. Helena. I, would not, I specifically did not guess Helga because I did not like, I was like, there's no way it's Helga. Mike. Okay. Question number two. There are seven Weasley siblings. Is that right? Yeah. Seven Weasley siblings. Five of them are in school when Harry starts at Hogwarts. Which two are no longer in school when Harry starts at Hogwarts? The eldest. You didn't ask the two that. of them that are no longer in school or yes. not in the school? The two of them that are no longer. Three of them are not in oh, school. Oh, you're one of the, you're right. Ginny is too young. Ginny is too young. You're right. So there are four currently at Hogwarts when Harry starts in 1991. Who are the two eldest Weasleys who are not currently at Hogwarts anymore when Harry starts? Have graduated out. Both guys. Bill. Yes. He's working for Gringotts. Yes. Right? Good job. The other one's doing the dragons. Yes. Harley. Good job, Mike. Mike's kicking your butt, Austin. To be fair, just to preface, Mike, I think. I do really like Harry Potter. I am a Harry Potter stan. I just said, yeah. I mean, At my pleading, Mike started rereading the books yeah, last year. Yeah, but that's even keyword rereading. Like, I didn't even read them in the first you place. You gotta read. You gotta do it. Oh, I'm very entertaining. Yeah. I don't know, I never got around to it when I was a... a Get young. Austin to read Harry Potter 2021. He was a wee lad and he just yeah. didn't pick them up. All right, next. This is a film question. In Prisoner of Azkaban, the film, the Frog Choir sings the double toil and trouble. Which famous Shakespeare play is that text from? Not a clue. Oh, uh, that's... I knew I recognized it from there somewhere. There are three witches. Yeah, it's Macbeth. Good! Yeah, I knew yeah, I recognized it because like, well, we were watching the movie the other day. And the Scottish play. I, well, yeah. But we were watching it... And like I knew that phrase from somewhere. Like, I, there's no way I knew it from Harry Potter. Like yeah. that's not where I, I know there's no where I couldn't think of it. And that's yeah, that's good job. Okay, number four. How many heads does Fang have? Yeah, Fang. How many heads? Say that. Three heads. That was a trick question. Yeah, Happy oh, has man. three heads. Yeah, Fang. Fang is the bloodhound, and he has one head. He has one head. You, you got didn't let me answer. You just skipped to your like. Well, 
Well, he said three, and I was about to say. You went, yeah. Okay, this is a good trick question. This is a trivia question slash question about a past a podcast question. Question: <laughs> Which house was Gilbert Lockhart in? Lockhart was a Hufflepuff. Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. He was a Ravenclaw. Yeah, one of the two lesser houses. Uh, oh my God, Austin. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's really only two houses that count in the movie. Ah, this is a past episode question. What is Tom Riddle's Enneagram number? Do I have to get both of them? Yeah, because this yeah. was a- Yeah, this was, a, this was a debate between me and McKenna. The numbers yeah. are right next to each other, if that will give you a hint. Yeah, the thing is, like, I don't really know the numbers. Like, I- You can guess one through one nine. nine. No. Because I remember reading, when you guys were planning out the article, I remember reading an article about how he is a nine. You're a or nine. Or Voldemort was a nine. No. 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 One and two. Close. Three and four. Two and three. <laughs> McKenna, you said three, and Aaron said two. Eh, opposites. Yeah. Oh, well, you have to have both of us say it before you get the right answer. Excuse me. They're just so, they're so into proving us wrong. Number we're on number seven. Okay, here's a past episode question. Name the bird that preceded the invention of the golden snitch and quit it. Oh. The golden blank. Fitch. Close. No, the golden snipe. Nope. Or something. Snipe. Severus snipe. (laughs) No, it's something like that, though. It's very Um, close to the word snitch. Finch. You add a syllable. Fitchinson. <laughs> it's a real bird, though. No. Oh. Then what even question is that? <laughs> close. Do you guys want the answer? Um, I mean, we can just keep adding silly syllables. It's the golden snidget. No, oh, never got that. Yeah, see, the fact that it's not a real animal. Number eight, who is the Slytherin house ghost? <laughs> I know. Michael. It is the bloody baron. Good job. Yeah. Excellent. Mike, you're killing it. True or false, Peter Pettigrew was a member of the First Order of the Phoenix. Yes, he was. I'm trying to think, of, I guess so, an official member though? Yeah, yes. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter yeah. Pettigrew was a member of the First Order of the Phoenix. Good job. And number 10, last but not least, who are McKenna and I's favorite characters? Oh, that's so Mike, easy. Mike, do you want to take, you want to take, Aaron? You want to take Aaron? Or do you want to do the opposites? I guess I'll, I'll do the opposites. Yeah, I'll do McKenna, you can do Aaron. So you, can, you go first. I'll, I'll do McKenna. McKenna's is, is Severus Snape. And Aaron's is. Robert. Oh my God! I know. Oh, I know. The name avoided me. I said the werewolf. He was the that one. The wolf boy. He is the wolf. Man. That's like the wolf man. Good job. Good job at all. You did. You did fine. You gotta read the books. You did a pretty good job for somebody who has no context or knowledge about Harry Potter. You have some knowledge about Harry Potter, that, but like you asked. You exclusive... did pretty well for somebody who's. You can ask exclusive book questions. Yeah. <laughs> You did pretty well for somebody who 90% of their knowledge of Harry Potter comes from Aaron's fan fiction writings. Most of it, yeah. Hey, I do a really good job with Harry Potter. Hey, thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Podcast to DM us or leave us an email.